Good morning, Gateway. My name is Stephanie Ulan, and this morning we'll be reading from Philippians 1. We'll start with the section that Ed read last week, and then we'll continue through the rest of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Good morning. Welcome to Gateway Online. This is our third conversation in a series that we're calling Stubborn Joy. I wanted to begin today with some joy moments. We invited you to share some things that had tickled your joy bone over the last few weeks, either with text or picture or both. I'm going to be sharing some of those over the next several weeks, and I'll save the pictures and videos for the next few weeks. But this morning, I want you to hear some of the joy moments that you've been sharing. For his joy moment, Andy cheated. He really listed out the three most important things in life, my wife and kids, God's amazing faithfulness, and chicken wings. Uh, Adam and Phil both said their joy bone was tickled by more time with family. Nick agreed, adding not just his kids, but the new routine of evening walks with kids. I like it. Randy agreed, but gave us a little more detail. Randy said, having quality time with my daughters who are normally at college or at high school. What Randy didn't say is that normally they don't spend time with dad. Sasi Karin went a little more whimsical. He said, sleepy kittens. Anna said spending time with family brought her joy, but then she added, and knitting. You go, Anna. And Kate kind of exploded with joy. She told us that she and her husband are celebrating their first anniversary, and she talked about how, quote, everything has fallen into place after so much waiting and praying, and she talked about expecting their first child, and that, that is joy-inducing. But I would say the hero of the group might have been Tess. Tess thanked Gateway for what we've been doing, for what we've been doing. And then listen to this. I'm joyful my kids are home and safe. My husband and I are joyful to help as RNs during this time. Glad to serve and spread the love of God, followed by three heart emojis. Well, heart emoji right back at you, Tess. You bring joy to the rest of us. Honestly, all of this joy was encouraging to read so thank you. There was one kind of disturbing Facebook post that will go unnamed, Eric. And that person, Eric, posted a picture of Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy and somehow compared Groot to our flower. Now, let me explain the flower. First of all, the flower echoes effectively and artistically, may I add, the logo for this series and for those of you, Eric, who haven't been able to get this, the logo depicts a beautiful flower that looks fragile and yet is pressing up through a lifeless, barren atmosphere, undeniably and stubbornly, just like the kind of joy that's available to us because of what we're hearing from the book of Philippians, and not anything like Groot. So, Groot aside, <laughs> thank you for those joy moments and keep them coming. As I said, this is our third week looking at stubborn joy, and we're using for our textbook the letter 
from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Philippi. This letter is essentially an ode to joy. It was written about 30 years after Jesus' death. And the thing we should really keep in mind when reading this letter is that Paul was writing from prison. His circumstances could not have been more challenging or more difficult. And yet, the letter is soaking wet with joy. How is that possible? Well, that's what we aim to discover over the next several weeks. But let's be clear. Looking at this letter is not going to be like a TED Talk on joy. Paul doesn't lay out seven steps to greater joy or ten things that will produce more joy in your life. Honestly, what he does is even better. This is a very personal letter from a joyful Christian writing to a group of friends who are part of the reason for his joy. And that makes it all the more real and tested. It's part personal testimony, part report, part instruction, as we'll see today, part prayer, part observation, part longing, and all of it drips with joy, even the greeting as we saw last week. Now, in many places, joy isn't mentioned directly, and yet through it all, we will tease out an understanding of the kind of thinking and life habits and beliefs and longings that lay the foundation on which we can build a life where joy is typical. That was a lot. So let's be honest. Joy is not going to be constant for any of us. Jesus told us plainly, in this world, you will have trouble. None of us gets to live the life that is exempt from difficulty. Serious, dramatic, joy-dampening difficulty. Plus, our joy is influenced by our dispositions and by our family history, among other things. Take our disposition. For some of us, we have the kind of personality in which our joy meter is stuck on two. So when a plus two joy-inducing event happens, we're already at four. When a minus two challenge happens, that just brings us to neutral. For others of us, we start at neutral and some of us default to negative three. It's often a function of our chemistry and our history. But there is the promise here that the joy button can be turned up for all of us. I truly believe that God offers us the pathway to more typical joy, to stubborn joy that offers itself independent of circumstances. So that's our journey together. We started last week by noting a couple of things. First, we noted an extremely important way of thinking about ourselves. In fact, we said it's underneath almost everything that Paul says. Here it is. My life is not my own. Now you'll have to listen to last week's message if you want a fuller picture, but spoiler alert, we're going to learn in upcoming weeks that that mindset, my life is not my own, doesn't exist by itself. Alongside that life-governing thought, Paul places the equally radical idea that God is working in our lives for good. I'm getting ahead of myself. Look, last week we also looked at a critically important joy-building habit. Here it is. We noted that a vital connection to community is essential. And not just any community, but a gospel-believing community. Again, you'll have to listen to last week to get the full story, but I spent some time defending this idea because this habit connecting to a gospel-believing community is currently not in vogue in our culture. So if you struggle with this one, I get it, but at least give it a listen before you reject this utterly. So briefly today, I'd like to analyze the next short section of the letter, and then at the end of today, I'm going to give us a homework assignment. I think it's going to surprise you. It may not be the assignment that you think is coming as you hear our analysis laid out. Okay, so this next section of the letter is a prayer. 
And we don't know if the prayer is a literary device or a spontaneous outburst from Paul's heart. In other words, Paul may have been saying to them, I want you to hear what I'm constantly praying for you or his heart and his pen may have just gotten away from him and burst into prayer after offering thanksgiving for the Philippians. Either way, he expresses two profound themes that are true about the kind of life in which joy becomes typical. Let me repeat that. We're going to hear two profound and critically important themes that are true about the kind of life in which joy becomes typical. The prayer is found in verses 9 through 11, so if you have your Bible open, you can follow along with me. Now, Paul originally wrote this in Greek, and Greek scholars pretty much unanimously tell us that there are two distinct purpose statements in this prayer that aren't reflected really clearly in our English translations. Check this out. These purpose statements are signaled to us by the use of the Greek word henna, which is usually translated that or so that, and it indicates purpose. The first purpose statement is very near the beginning of the prayer, so that your love may abound more and more. And the second one is halfway through verse 10, so that you may be pure and blameless. Now, it might be helpful to think about the opening of verse 9 as if it read something like, I'm praying for you guys constantly, so that. And then Paul offers his first profound theme, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And this is rich. He prays for the Philippians and for us that our love would grow and grow. And by love, he means love. He means it as an emotional word. This is the Greek word agape. This is the highest love. This is love which comes from God. But Paul does not want empty-headed sentimentality. He's not looking for that sweetness that we feel once a year around Christmas time that makes us warm inside about Jesus and Santa and Charlie Brown. This is not life is beautiful, we're all good people kind of emotionality. This is informed love. This is wisdom-infused love. Paul prays that our love may abound in knowledge, and by implication, he means, of course, knowledge of God, specifically knowledge of the Son, Jesus Christ. And he longs for our love to abound in depth of insight. And this is moral insight. This is virtually a synonym for wisdom. Paul is praying for an abounding, maturing, wisening, deepening, God-saturated love. And if you don't want some of that, if you're not immediately drawn to that for yourself, then read the result, so that you may be able to discern what is best, Paul says, or what is excellent, or what is vital. And that means exactly what you think it means. Consider these questions, for example. Should we have children? Should I take that job and move to Colorado? Should I talk to my boss about what my manager has been saying to everyone? Should we put our daughter in travel softball next year? Should I go to the teacher about this? Should we get him tested? Should I ask her to marry me? Should we try this new initiative? Do we need marriage counseling? Can we afford to remodel the kitchen? All of those questions, big and small, require discernment. And all of those questions and their answers add up to our lives. They are the substance of our successes and failures, our challenges and our comforts. And what does it take to increase our chances of getting them all right? How do we get to the right answers every time? Well, the right answers come from love that abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Abounding, deepening, wisening, God-saturated, maturing love 
that will lead us to the right answers. That will lead us to the right answers. This is one of the themes that is true about a life in which joy is becoming increasingly typical. It is a life in which love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Think about it. If we're living a life where love abounds us in knowledge and depth of insight, we will get it right more often. There will be less regret, less shame. The difficulties will not disappear, but self-induced cataclysm can be eliminated. Look, people we love will still die. Jobs will still be lost. Viruses will still happen. But we can avoid blowing up our own lives and we can enjoy God more fully and more consistently. We can live with greater clarity and more purpose. Our hearts will be more alive and our decisions will flow more easily and consistently toward God's will and toward what is best and highest and most excellent for us if we're growing in a wisening, deepening, maturing, God-saturated love. To what degree is that true of my life? That seems to me to be a vital question. Then there's the second clear purpose state. It's not at the beginning of verse 10, like it appears in English. It's in the middle of the verse. Again, it might be helpful to think of the opening of verse 9 as if it read, I'm praying for you guys constantly, and now skip down to the middle of verse 10, so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, this means exactly what it says. Paul longs for our character to be impeccable, spotless, and for our reputation to be unimpeachable. He longs for us to be high character, high integrity kind of people all the way through our lives until the day of Christ Jesus. The older I get, the more I understand the challenge of this. So many of us get derailed for a period of our lives. This is especially a tragedy when the derailment is the last period of our lives, by the way. Paul is praying that we will end gloriously and that we'll be glorious all the way through. In other words, that we will be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he amplifies that we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, this is a beautiful image. Imagine our lives like a fruit basket. Paul is praying that there will be a dizzying array of lusciousness and color, that there will be nothing rotten, there will be nothing unnecessary, nothing that doesn't belong. There will be nothing fake, just right, delicious, juicy fruit that nourishes everyone around us. At one point in one of his letters, Paul's talking to another group of friends. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I think he just gives there a fuller description of the same idea that he's offering in this prayer. In Galatians 5.22, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Here's the second profound theme that is true about a life in which joy is becoming increasingly typical. It is a life of increasing purity and blamelessness. Isn't it self-evident? A life lived with greater integrity, a life of nobility, of godly character and godly actions, a life of innocence where no effort needs to be spent covering and hiding because nothing needs to be hidden. This is a life in which the joy knob will slowly and consistently be turned up. I mean, one of the expressly stated fruits of such a life is joy. Did you notice that in the list from Galatians 5? Now, here's a key question for us. Where does such a life originate? 
the kind of life we've been describing. How do we get there? Where does it come from? Uh, this is a hint toward our homework assignment, by the way. Paul expressly answers that for us. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, Paul says. This life of purity and blamelessness that is filled with the fruit of righteousness, it comes to us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have surrendered the control of our lives over to a living Savior. Remember last week, our lives are not our own. Remember last week, we are like little children being molded and taught and nurtured and loved and conformed to the image of our Father. And His Spirit is working in us through the natural course of circumstances, and yes, supernaturally through His direct influence. His Spirit is producing within us the fruit of righteousness in ever-increasing rightness and lusciousness. This idea actually points us back in the passage to a phrase that we skipped in this, our discussion last week. If you were with us last week, some of you may have noticed that we skipped it. Paul knew something about the Philippians. It, even when he got reports that their faith was being tested, there was something he knew that gave him confidence and protected his joy. He tells them plainly in verse 6, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul knew that God had done something in these Philippian friends. Paul had seen it happen. God had planted something in them, and that seed, Paul knew, was going to bear fruit. God's work would continue because it's what God does. It depends on God, you see. If it had depended on the Philippians, well, Paul would have needed to fret and worry and work his brains out to ensure that they stayed on the path, that they continued to be part of his posse. But Paul knew something. God had started something in the Philippians, and he, God, would complete it. And the same thing is true about us. God started something in you when you were 12 or when you were 29 or 63 or, or when you were 41, or maybe he's starting something right now and he's going to complete it. Look, if you don't have a relationship with God, today is the day to begin that. Ask him, pray. Father, I've sent something stirring in me today. I need your work in my life. I want to surrender the control of my life. I want to allow you to bring to my life a new kind of life. It's not complicated, but be warned, it's not easy. But for those of us who do have a relationship with God, God began something in you and He's going to complete it through Jesus Christ to His glory and praise, Paul adds. So what's the takeaway for us? What's our homework assignment? How do we get busy on this joy business? Well, I don't know what God might be communicating to you, but let me strongly suggest something for all of us. And when you hear this message, you might think that the homework assignment would be something like working on your purity. You may even think of areas that need attention, or, or maybe you should work on your love quotient. That seems a bit vague, but since our love should abound in knowledge and depth of insight, maybe we should work on our knowledge. Maybe we should read the Bible more and do more religious activity. But I don't think that's what this prayer calls for. Paul prayed for the Philippians. That's what he did. He prayed that these Philippians would increasingly become these kinds of people. I don't think our job here is to work toward these kinds of lives. I think our job is, just like Paul, to pray for ourselves and for those we love. To pray that our love will abound. To pray for our purity and blamelessness, all of which comes through Jesus Christ. Our job is to pray 
and to surrender. God is at work in us. Our job always, but especially related to this topic, our job is to look to Him and to surrender. So instead of doing and executing and planning and striving, we've got to pray and trust and wait and surrender. Stubborn joy is available, but we need to remind ourselves the key is not to do more to get it. The key is to pray and surrender. So this week, put some names into this prayer and take it to God. Start with your own name. Father, I pray that my love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that I would be able to discern what's best. And I pray that I would be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then pray for the ones you love. Father, I, I pray that Graham's love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that he would be able to discern what's best. And after you've prayed this, surrender to the one who began a good work in you and who will complete it. Amen. Hey, let me leave you today with a couple of questions. I want you to first consider dropping in the chat which of these two great themes is more challenging for you abounding love or purity and blamelessness. And you can just drop into our chat, abounding in love or purity and blamelessness. Or if you don't know or don't want to be that vulnerable, you can say, I don't know. Or you could say, none of your business, Judgy McJudgerson, whatever. Just drop into the chat, if you would, which of these two great themes might be the most challenging for you. Secondly, I want to encourage you to noodle on this this week. When was the last time you enjoyed God. Enjoy God. Stay safe. Have a great week. And please send us your joy moment descriptions or pics and videos if you have them. God bless.